Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today we have with us Rihanna Milne. She is a certified global life and love coach, a certified clinical trauma and addictions professional, a certified mindfulness coach, number one best-selling author, The host of her podcast is called Lessons in Life and Love, and she's an educational speaker and licensed mental health counselor for over 20 years, living in Palm Beach County, Florida. She was also a life and dating coach for the docuseries Radical Dating, Finding Lasting Love Over 40. Rihanna specializes in those who have had past childhood or relationship trauma and offers coaching programs for both singles and couples globally through her lifeandlovetrainingacademy.com. Raina, or Rihanna, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Heather? Thanks for having me. Hello, I'm, everyone. Yes, of course. So we're so glad that you're able to come on the show today. I always start out, I want to get into the background, um, how you guys, how you got into um, what you're doing now and what it was kind of like for you growing up in high school, college. Sure, sure. Well, I did the traditional route of getting a triple master's in applied clinical and counseling psychology and opened up my own practice in South Jersey called Therapy by the Sea. And I always had side jobs along with that to grow my practice. So I actually worked at every grade level in the schools from kindergarten all the way through college as a SAC counselor, which is student assistance counselor, that helped the kids that came from traumatic homes or were emotionally upset identified ADHD or oppositional defiant. Then I worked in a hospital setting where it was from ages five through 19 for adolescents that were emotionally critical. They could have been suicidal tendencies, cutting um, runaways from the foster care system and so forth. And then I worked as an LCADC drug and alcohol addictions counselor in an adolescent unit and also with women from the prison system. So all my jobs were around people that have come from or experienced a lot of heartache and trauma. And then I went through two traumatic relationships myself. Uh, the first one I married fairly young, my college sweetheart, but that ended up where you know he took advantage of borrowing a large sum of money from my family, 200,000. Back then that was quite a lot and they never paid it back, he and his father. So that took me 18 years working five jobs to do the right thing and pay my mom back. And then I married later in life and thought this one was perfect. I was introduced by the school superintendent. He was a principal. I thought, okay, great pick, right? Great match. And unfortunately had a whole secret life. So when his life was discovered at the school, his world exploded, my world exploded, our kids were upset, and I was left to try to find the answers. And all he said as he was running out of town was, I don't know what's the matter with me, I sabotage everything I love. And this was something in psychology I'd never seen before, and I said, well, I'm gonna figure it out. And that's what started my journey into finding the answers 
of why people behave as they do in traumatic and toxic relationships. And, you know, it's funny because to the community and to everyone that knew us, we had the perfect idyllic relationship. We were so in love. We had three marriage ceremonies, one in Atlantic City, one in Paris, one in, in Mexico. So, you know, from my day-to-day life, it looked perfect and I was so happy. So this sudden change really put my body into post-traumatic stress disorder. I call it love trauma. And I had seven psychotherapy friends. They couldn't help me. They didn't know what he had. They had no answers for me. So my research was really my own therapy to get the answers that I needed. And as I was uncovering more and more, I really discovered the root of the issues of my clients' problems. And that's uh, what was put in my number one bestseller, Love Beyond Your Dreams. I got up to 400 pages and I'm like, okay, I can't keep writing. This is getting too big. So I ended up writing a 150-page training manual for my coaching clients. And it is a research-based program that really helps people heal their childhood trauma that leads to love trauma if it's not healed. What was your like your process of being just turned upside down, but then having that resilience to still say, I just want to know what happened. I want to know, you know, and why this happened and what was going through his mind versus just kind of shutting down and letting your life just kind of be Well, as it you is. know, I learned the mindset for success when I was very young. In uh, one of my first traumatic situations that happened to me was uh, my best friend, my childhood friend from age five through 16 was killed by a drunk driver. And it really woke me up and I said, wow, how much time do I have? And I started really uh, reading spirituality. I got involved with the Course of Miracles. I studied Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Marian Williamson. And so all the spiritual masters were helping me to heal from that. And then uh, when I was at Penn State for my undergrad, my three-year best college friend there, I was one year ahead of her. And when I graduated, she was murdered by her boyfriend in a domestic violence incident. All I can say is, thank God, I had the mindset for success to get me through all these difficult transitions in my life because it kept me positive and proactive versus negative and reacting and getting into that victim pity me mode. And during today's crises of the coronavirus, it's very evident to see people that have learned the mindset for success and those that are still struggling because it's one or two paths. People are like, great, I have more time. Like I'm creating new programs and doing new marketing and and I'm really proactive in what I can do with extra time and really getting into my gratitude and meditation. And then the others that are re-triggered from trauma, they're depressed, they're anxious, they're overeating or drinking out too much alcohol or smoking pot or kind of checking out due to the reaction of high anxiety and high stress. So it's really evident, you know, how trauma can be re-triggered if you have not cleared it from the brain and the body system. Definitely. Um, Before we started recording, you talked to me about the 10 childhood traumas. Uh, Do you want to go into that a little bit? Sure, sure. As I speak to your listeners about this, I want to really stress this is not about shame or blame. We don't want to go back and blame your parents now at this stage of your life because the research shows childhood trauma goes through three generations. 
So the fact is, if you had childhood trauma, so did your mom and dad, and then so did their parents. So it's at least three generations. That's number one. And number two, we don't want you to feel ashamed if you've experienced any of these things. Because as a child, you're just a product of your environment. There's nothing you can do. You're dependent on those adults that are raising you. And it is what it is. We're trying to look at this list as facts. And the more information I can get on those facts when I talk to a client, the more I can help them by getting to the root of the trauma and the issues. So here's the top 10. There's actually more. So when you were a child, did any of these things occur for you? Number one was addiction in your parental upbringing. So mom, dad, or if your grandparents lived with you. So drugs and alcohol, sex, meaning you knew one of your parents was cheating, porn, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, workaholism, and the last one I've recently added is addicted to social media because the kids are either put aside or put on a machine themselves and lacking that human interaction and warmth. So that's addiction is number one. Number two is verbal abuse. So that could be witnessing mom and dad yelling and screaming at each other. They could have been yelling at you. It could have been they gave you verbal put downs, like your mom might say, go change that outfit, you look fat in that. Or your dad would say, no, we're not sending you to college, why waste our money? Verbal slurs is what we call that. Or if they were mad at you, they'd shut down and not talk to you for hours or days at a time as a form of punishment. And another is not giving you verbal accolades, like saying, great job, kiddo, or I believe in you. I know you'll do a great job. Kids really need to hear that to excel in life. And if you didn't hear the words, I love you. So this is a huge one, just talking to all my child and adolescents through the years. The verbal was very big, coming off very big. Third one is emotional abuse and neglect. Fourth one was physical abuse, any kind of beatings. Uh, physical, um, sexual abuse, rape, or molestation. And those could have happened inside or outside of the home. The next one is abandonment. And there's two types, fault and no fault abandonment. So a fault abandonment is if there was, the parent was in your life and they divorced and then they never contacted you again. Another form of fault abandonment is they never were in your life. They chose not to be. Or it could be an emotional disconnect, emotional abandonment. So a parent could be in that house, but they really didn't interact with you much. They barely talked to you. They, they were defiant, you know, just angry and just like, stay out of my way, kid. You know, so that was an emotional abandonment. And then a no-fault abandonment would be if a parent to happen to die early, if they had to go serve the military and leave the household, leave the country. And another one would be if your parents main job, the way they supported the family was traveling a lot. And my dad fell in that category. He was like James Bond. He was FBI and CIA and we didn't know it. So I remember as a young girl saying, mom, when's daddy coming home? And she didn't know. Right. So it was a very like, is he okay? Where is he? And then when you walk in the door, it's like, yay, he's home. You know, And you just never knew where he was, but he couldn't tell the family either. So that was difficult. The next one is number six. If you were adopted, part of the foster care system or had to go live with somebody else because your parents couldn't keep you. So even if it was grandparents or aunts or uncles, you still have that feeling of why can't I be with my parents? Um, The next one is the largest one that most people relate to. I call it personal trauma. And that's if you were ever bullied, put down or made to feel not good enough. You could have been born with a medical condition. 
You could have been an overweight child, a skinny and gawky child, or called a nerd, bullied in any way. Maybe you were the racial minority in your school and just felt different. Maybe you grew up LGBTQ, questioning, and felt different that way. So there's so many different ways that people just felt like not good enough, and that's a big one. Okay, trauma number eight is sibling trauma. So your sibling could have had a medical condition commanding more of mom's and dad's time, or they could have bullied you, or most common, you perceive them to be the golden child. So they had more of mom's and dad's attention. They might have been the star athlete, more handsome, more beautiful, or more intelligent, and you're always trying to measure up to that other sibling. Okay, number nine has two parts. One used to be in the later list, and I had to bring it into the top 10, and that one is community trauma. Years ago when I was growing up, there wasn't much of that. Today, it's rampant. Like, look what's going on right now. Coronavirus is not only community, but global. And every human being is affected by this trauma right now. It's also our mother nature acts, floods, fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, where our mass communities are wiped out. It's also our school shootings and our mass community shootings. So this one has become so big. And any of these events are really hard on an adult, but can you imagine a little child living through these, okay? The other part of that is family trauma. So that's if a parent was incarcerated, if the family had to move every two to four years, like our military families, you grow up with a lot of poverty, remembering a lot of lack in your childhood, or you know you lost your home by the mortgage crises, or even today, a lot of that could be happening if this goes on much longer. So family and community trauma are becoming more and more prevalent. And the last one is mental health issues in mom or dad. And I identify the two most difficult for kids to navigate as bipolar and borderline. So borderline personality disorder, a quick and easy definition would be fast moods, irregular moods. When they're good, they're great. When they're bad, they're horrid. And it leaves a kid walking on eggshells. And bipolar is manic depressive. So manic could be an eating binge, a spending spree, a gambling spree. Um, depression can come as checking out emotionally, being exhausted, or actually being angry. You know, depression can come out in anger response as well. So those are the top 10 I just find. Yes. That's a, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's, yes, it is. But it, it's so, <laughs> it, it, it's key in understanding how we move through this world and, and yes. the things that happen. So to tie that back into what you do and the podcast, how does that affect people in their adult lives and when they get into relationships? Okay. I put together 24 combinations and kind of stopped. I'm sure there's a lot more, but I'll go into a few. Okay. So if a gentleman would be jealous or control his woman, that usually comes from trauma number seven, personal trauma, not feeling good enough. And trauma number two, hearing those verbal messages will amount to nothing. He's up to no good. That's usually where that comes from. So if they can't control themselves and reach their own success, then they usually will try and latch on to a woman who is successful and live that lifestyle through her, which we call sociopathic, using someone for pleasure or profit. Um, and then they become jealous of her wherever she is and then controlling. So he feels a sense of control, even though he has none personally. So that's a big one where a lot of my women suffer with that one when they come to me. Perfectionism combined with imposter syndrome. 
So someone that is OCD needs to be perfect or cleaning or really perfect on the job. Most of my ladies are successful in business, but struggle in love and can't figure out why they get business right, but not love. And this is the reason. So if they had a very traumatic home in school, they might've had one teacher or two that they latched on that gave them the verbal accolades. Great job, you know, and they wanted to work hard for their teacher. They felt love there that if they were the teacher's pet and they found like three things could have happened. Well, if I get good grades, I'll get the hell out of my house. Number one. Number two, if I get good grades, even though my family can't afford it, I might be able to get a scholarship and go to college, right? And number three, it fed the ego in some way, which all children need for self-confidence to at least perform at school, even though they felt at home, they could do no good, right? They were always put down. So that's where learning to be successful became important to a lot of young people. So they got that and they kept growing in their success, but they never healed the relationship, the love relationship portion of that. So that's imposter syndrome can happen a lot to our actors, singers, models, dancers, like why do I deserve to make this kind of money? You know, I'm just a kid from the streets or whatever. And they might sabotage themselves if, you know, they don't have a good mindset or spiritual grounding actually and a sense of gratitude for their work that they've done. A big one for women is people pleasing. They learned as a young person uh, coping mechanisms to please that difficult parent. So at least they wouldn't be yelled or screamed at or punished if they're always overdoing or taking care of their siblings or cleaning the house, whatever they have to do to keep peace. And then that became a normalized behavior. So I work with both singles and couples, but if I had a couple come to me, you know, I might hear a woman say, Rihanna, I'm so burnt out. You know, I do everything for my husband and my kids. I'm the only one that shows love. They never love me back. And nobody does anything for me. But it became so normalized, she keeps overdoing to get love, show love and get love. So that becomes a really bad cycle. And one of the most dangerous ones is impulsivity. Somebody that grew up with not much and it's like, well, I want the sports car. I'm not even going to tell her. I'm just going to get it and come home with it. I'll just act like it's a big surprise, but I'm not returning it. So this almost sense of entitlement and impulse, I want it, so I'm going to do it, can be very dangerous for them and their loved ones. So those are just a few right there. Definitely. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's all like you, you think about it, but you don't really put the pieces together. So I think it's really helpful information to give for that. Sure. And so it sounds like a lot of us probably had some sort of childhood trauma, majority mm -hmm. of us. So if the majority of us had this trauma, why are only some of us affected in our love lives? Okay. Well, the research shows 90% of people have at least one to three of the traumas I named. Some people have gone ahead and solved these traumas, right? This is anybody selling really into spirituality, the mindset for success, the conscious thinkers of our world. And there's not a whole lot of those, right? Most of us have something. But when my singles are out there dating, they know to look for what are the traumas that the person has, how intense are they, and are they healed? And I can give you an example of that. I had a 50-year-old woman out dating. She said the guy was handsome. He was charming. He put out her chair, offered her something to drink and eat. Well, a lot of men won't offer something to eat on a date. It's just lets me for drinks. Um, so she was initially impressed. And then she knows I'm going to go into the questions. So one question they know to ask, and we have a series of 24 of them. 
But the first one was so like, tell me about your mom and dad. Are they still living? Because he was about, you know, 58 years old. So he goes, well, no, unfortunately, my dad has died. And, you know, he was really rough when I grew up. He was an alcoholic. And he was miserable when he drank, absolutely miserable. So she's thinking, uh-oh. And he's there. But by the age of, I was 14, he stopped drinking and really tried hard to make it up for me, to me. So we went fishing and hiking, and we had a lot of good quality time, and I was pretty close to him. And so that is a healed example, right? That right. was pretty good. And she said, so how's your mom? Is she still living? Oh my God, my mom, that's a whole different story. My mom was alcoholic too, but she never stopped. She quite frankly was a bitch. So the long story of it, she's in a retirement home. I've got to pay that bill. So he was very angry yeah. and very unsettled around his mom. Now in Love Beyond Your Dreams, I talk about the 19 personality types that can break your heart. One of them is called a mother hater. It's not a technical term in psychology, but it's really easy to understand. Yeah. And she knew right away, just the way he spoke, he hated his mom. So she walked away saying, you know, wow, this is a tough one. I see a lot of positive things, but I know there's 19 personality types. I'm not going to get involved with someone that hates their mom because they usually very much disrespect their women and they expect the perfect woman because they always idolize the perfect mom that they never got. And there's a lot of usually underlying anger. So she called the next day and said, you know, very nice to meet you. I just don't think we're quite a match. And he starts yelling at her and she just smiled because it was like so expected that she says, look, I don't tolerate calls like this, but I wish you a lot of luck. Goodbye. Good luck. And God bless and hung up the phone and blocked the number. So, you know, we're just very empowering when you go out and date, when you know what to do, what to look for that's acceptable that you want and what to look for that you don't want. Both right. equally important, right? right? So that you save yourself from toxic relationships. So knowledge is power. And when you have the knowledge, you do feel very empowered when you're going out in dating world. Definitely. So the, the women that we have in our programs and that we're helping um, are obviously leaving toxic and abusive relationships. Yeah. And they're scared to get out into that dating world again. Do you have any advice for them to just start? Yeah, it's the it? same as my clients when they come to me. That's very typical because usually they've either had the long-term marriage that was very abusive and they hung in there because they didn't have money or uh, they had too many kids that they could care for on their own by themselves, or they got out of the marriage and had another two, you know, one to two to three toxic relationships again. And they're noticing, I can't get it right. I don't know what's wrong. Right. And that's when they usually come to me because they're just so exhausted and emotionally battered and beaten down that they just don't want to go forward until they get the skills that they need. Right. So that's when they come to me. I have a 150 page workbook, all based in research. It takes four to six months to get the trauma response out of the body and learn the education. But my people love it because it's information they have not learned before. Right. And it's very, very, like I said, empowering so that they've, they start dating when they're with me and I keep an eye on them and we start discussing what's good, what's the red flags, you know, and they start really being able to process that for themselves. So you mentioned there are three different types of personalities to be weary of. What are those and what are, like, can you describe? There's the 19 types of personalities. Okay. 19. Yeah. So the, the three that you want to avoid, right? Or no, there's 19 there's, you okay. want to avoid. Okay. 
Yeah, that's in section one of my book. So there's a lot of them. I can name a few of them for you. Uh, the most difficult um, and dangerous is the con artist, which is antisocial personality disorders, uh, sociopaths and psychopaths. So I'll give you a brief description. At the highest, most dangerous level is the psychopath. They are a narcissist and sociopath that kills. Okay, one step down is sociopath. Sociopaths are always narcissists, but they use people at a high level for pleasure or profit with no remorse, and they never apologize. Very, very opportunistic people. And when I was doing the research, it had one in 25 people were sociopathic. Today, it's more like six to seven in 25 are sociopathic. So the singles really have to be careful when they're out there dating. Yeah. Okay. And then the third step down is that narcissistic personality disorder. And I can go into some of the traits of that if you would like me to. Yeah, that would be awesome. A lot of the, the words that are used in the, the domestic violence community are narcissist and sociopath. So to be able to yeah. understand for those listeners that aren't in those relationships to understand what they are, but then also for our listeners that already deal with that, those red flags that they should be looking for yeah. in future partners. I identify 36 red flags. So any of the listeners want to do the red flag checklist, it's for free on my website, rihannamilne.com. So under quizzes, so go look there. Okay, so some signs of the narcissist, they have excessive admiration and a sense of entitlement for themselves. They hate the rules. They want to do what they want to do, no matter how many people they hurt. They are really preoccupied with fantasies of power, success, ideal love, or ideal beauty. Very often they grow up poor and they are looking to latch on to someone that can give them the lifestyle that they want. They do take advantage of people for their own gain. That's the number one trait. Very jealous and controlling because they don't want anyone else to steal you away when they know they're not worthy, but you're offering something to them that they don't have. So they lack empathy towards anybody else's pain, especially their partners. They, they're blaming, they blame very often. They're extremely selfish, materialistic, and they only worry about themselves. Um, so let's see if there's other things. They're very impulsive. They're prone to several addictions, alcohol and sex being number one and two, and they're usually both that together. So this person usually comes off very charming, you know, will load you with gifts and admiration, texts, emails, give you all this attention. And, and the person that does not have their childhood trauma healed would say, wow, I finally found the perfect guy. He's giving me all this attention and admiration. But that could be really a red flag that they're trying to rope you in. If your ladies have not seen Dirty John, the series yet on Netflix, they definitely want to see that. It is textbook. It is a real story, a sociopath conning uh, that's very kind, faith-based, pretty, um, great mom, you know, intelligent and successful woman. And, uh, you know, she almost ended up dead. So very good textbook story to see on this so you get the idea. They can be very moody, difficult and demanding, usually borderline personality, again, because they came from a very toxic home. So they lack consciousness. They don't think before they do. Uh, they crave money, uses others to get it. Uh, they're a loner. They usually don't have friends. And if they do, the friend is subservient to them. You know, they look up to the sociopath and they help them with their cons. 
very often, which the term is called flying monkeys, which I just heard this year. The flying monkey acts as an undercover to help the sociopath get what they want. Very interesting. Uh, poor work history, usually a lot of jobs, a lot of turnover, and it's everybody else's fault. Uh, highly promiscuous sexually, sex equals power to them. So if you're out on a date and someone says, oh, I have a really high sex drive on the first date, eh, no thank you, not interested. You know, they're using that as like, see, aren't I the man? No, we, we're not interested, we don't care. Usually early behavioral problems with the juvenile uh, justice system, and they go for fast marriages or moving in quickly with someone. And then the psychopath is sociopaths who killed. Yeah. Okay. So are these kind of the personalities that would seem perfect in the beginning? And then once you get into that relationship or even get married, that it... Yeah, that's the emotional manipulator. And the studies show that they usually seem perfect about four months in, three to four months. That's why they really rush to get married or move in with you. And then once they've landed you, things start falling apart. And it's usually when they get serious. So living together, being exclusive, getting engaged, getting married and having kids. This is when these relationships fall apart, which is the eight, the time frame of four months to nine months or one year. Wow. But, mm-hmm. So a lot of times it, it, it may not even be a, a quick turnaround. It, it could take. You start seeing the red flags four months to nine months in. But then a lot of people hang in there because they keep wanting to get back that perfect beginning or they just say, well, you know, he made a mistake and they just let it go because the beginning was so perfect. Right, right. You don't um, want to see the red flags. Right, exactly. And that's a mm-hmm. lot of what, what happens is it's either ignored or, you know, it, it happens one time and so it, it's not a big deal. And, and then right. you get sucked into this, well, I've been with this person for so long that I don't want I to. I want to try and make it work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the trauma number five, which was the abandonment one. If you've had abandonment, these are the people that are very prone to codependent and love addicted relationships. And the studies show with love addiction, consciously you're saying, this guy is no good for me. I got to get out of this. But your soul and your psyche craves love so much that you end up really missing them and kind of forgiving the old bad behavior, taking them back. And the research shows those usually go back seven times. And you know, the cycle of abuse, it only gets worse each time, never better. Right. Exactly. Without major intervention or working with a trauma specialist. Right. Exactly. Um, A lot of what is talked about in our communities is that uh, a narcissist will never change or a sociopath will never change. Have you found that there is a point of no return or have you seen that, that, you know, if men really work on themselves, they're able to remove that trait? It's very difficult because they really believe deep to their core, they're doing nothing wrong or that they're entitled to do what they do. Okay, so it's really a lot of faulty thinking. I've had a couple sociopaths in my office. I do see some improvement. It only usually happens once once they're kicked out or the woman has moved out everything. And they will try and come back, like I said, several times. Uh, Initially, they will never want to go to therapy because they feel the therapist or the coach will call them out on their BS. They're going to see through it. So that's why they might go to one session. It's like, I don't like them. 
And I remember one couple coming in, the girl says, this is our seventh therapist. I said, I believe that because I knew he was a sociopath in the, right. the first 15 minutes of this session. He was trying to control me, tell me, schmooze up to me, charm me. It was like so evident. So someone that is really good in knowing this personality type, they're not going to get through. And usually when I have a client not sure if they want to leave this type of person or not, I said, start the program. You'll see as you go on whether you want to go or stay. So they get empowered. Then they're like, no, I'm seeing how messed up he is. I don't want to stay with this person. And then they're strong enough to move on. Yeah. How do you keep your women from not being discouraged? You you know, knowing that nine out of 10 of us are in these childhood traumas and if we haven't healed from them, chances are we're not going to be good in a relationship. How do you not get discouraged about dating knowing all of those? Well, again, the second part of my programs, it's healing the trauma, right? As a clinical trauma professional, I heal their trauma. I make that unconscious behaviors, the the negative patterns and behaviors consciously aware, right? So we go from unconscious to consciously aware. And then they learn at the same time, the mindset for success, which is living in positivity and full conscious awareness. So it takes a long time. It takes four to six months in trauma work to really get the trauma out of the brain and the body cells and into a whole different way of being and thinking. But it's fabulous. I describe it like a rainbow. You're starting at this point of, I don't know what I don't know. And that's where I was. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know why I attract these toxic guys. I'm a good lady. I'm successful. I'm a great mom, a wonderful friend. What's with this? And that's where I was. And then as I was learning, I was doing better than you slip and you do better than you slip. And the slippage is, is because the unconscious is so strong. Right. So it takes a while to really train yourself to be in full conscious awareness. But then on the other side is that pot of gold because you live your life with all these skills and you'd never go back to where it was. You're in full conscious awareness. It's really, really easy to see. For example, we have a top politician I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> but one of the side effects of this is called blurting out. It's a term I came up with. They blurt out things that are totally inappropriate that leave people say, oh my God, why did he just say that? You know, and blurting out or saying things over and over again to get people to like you is another sign of unhealed childhood trauma. So when you're healed, you, you hear it. And you see it so easily, right, that you know to stay away from those toxic personality types. And I remember hearing on the TV, two newscasters said, well, you think he has a mental health disorder? I said, no, he has unhealed childhood trauma. Yeah. (laughs) And it was so obvious. And it becomes very obvious once you have this education. So that's why my ladies and men or straight and LGBT clients that go out into the world, they know what to look for becomes very obvious to them. And they know that when they can walk away. And it's usually date one or two. Yeah. We call it a one and done date. No, one and done. It's like, okay, next. Yeah. You know, because they'll know how, you know, unhealed it is. Right. Is in on not naming this person, but if they were to heal from their childhood trauma, do you think that they would be able to cope better in society? Yes. That, yeah. That's... As long as I have somebody that I can coach and train and they're dedicated to the process, like I said, it's a 150 page workbook. It's not a fluff course. It's for people that are really serious about wanting to change their life. And uh, it works. Everyone I've worked with that 
completes the course and that's 99.5 of people really have major transformation. That's why I love what I do. It's quite amazing to see it. Definitely. I know that you've given us a ton of information and different things and tips to look out for, but I want to go into your story a little bit more of how you became this, how you got through your, the two relationships that you were in and were able to work yourself through these, this research and learn how to transform yourself basically. Well, again, I started doing mindset work at 17, 18 years old. And when I was 26, I opened up a model and talent school in an agency. And I used a mindset for success for actors, singers, models, dancers to succeed in their career. So I got a, a local dancer and Erie PA became a rocket. I had somebody want to be on soaps, end up on soap opera, someone on Baywatch in movies. So I could make these small town people's dreams come true. So that's mindset work. And that's all covered in the book, Live Beyond Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose and Success. So together, Live and Love, they're called sister books. One's about the mindset for success. One is about the exact skills you need to know in love. And then the practice part is the worksheets, breaking it down even further, going really deep. And that's how I healed myself. There was no therapist that could help me. The tapping is like, was so annoying. I couldn't stand it. You know, so all I wanted to do was get the answers. So I always say I'm on a mad mission to change the way the world world loves. And I had to start with me. And then I was getting the answers. This was so helpful for my people in therapy. And years ago, um, I mean, I had people marry at 2006, 2007, who are still married today. So that's 12, 13, 14 years that this program has been really successful, you know, and these were people that were chronic, toxic, dysfunctional relationships over and over and over again, couldn't figure out what was wrong. So that's really what it is. It all comes from my research and putting this program together. That's what it was. So my education for myself helps now so many other people. I know that you talked about some, um, a couple childhood traumas that happened and how that really started your mindset journey and, and being able to be resilient and, and overcome those traumas. But a lot of teenagers are not able to do that. What do you think it was that prompted you to start that journey? And what advice can you give to a 13, 14, 16 year old that may have gone through that. Yeah, I worked with a lot of teens. Well, you know, I was very bullied. I was that tall, skinny, gawky girl. And I saw a scholarship for modeling school and I wrote my heart into it and I actually won. I never thought I would win it. And back then it was $500. And for a family of five, my mom could have never sent me to modeling school. So that really started my way onto self-esteem. And by the time I was out and a couple of years later, I'm working with top celebrities around the world, like dancing the old encore with Freddie Mercury of Queen and, you know, working with Alice Cooper. And, you know, so that was like the best thing that could have happened to me right. for self-esteem. Um, but at 10, you know, I uncovered my father's footlocker with my brother and uncovered letters with his mistress and pictures. So that's something a 10-year-old should never have to see. Um, so there was various traumas that I had and I had to look back because initially when you hear this work, it's like, well, I didn't have trauma. My childhood was normal. I could see my ex-husband's 
traumas really easily. But when right. they, I saw, okay, 90% have one to three, then I have to have something. Well, bullying. I know I have bullying. It was so obvious to me. But then I had to really think back, and that 10-year-old situation was so traumatic, I really blocked it out as not occurring for me. Like it wasn't important because I really loved my dad. He was the warm and loving one. And it was a big family secret. Like my brother and I, we can never talk about this. It'll break up the family. Right. So when we filed it away, we'll never talk about it. We never did. And then I realized that this was really impactful in my mate selection. Okay. So, you know, it's really, again, I work with those age 16 and up virtually only. So I work with people around the world. So Mm -hmm. teens that are struggling, their parents will sign me up and, you know, we meet by Skype. It's real simple. They love it because they don't have to go to a therapy office and feel weird or different. They're really into doing the work because it's easy. It's straightforward worksheets. And I have a lot of teenagers very anxious to go from high school to college where they come out of college and they can't find a job, which is like feeling guilt around all the money spent and stuck, like not feeling good enough. I keep getting rejected. Nobody wants me. So I help them with career coaching in those stages. They might've had a toxic boyfriend two or three uh, in their twenties and really, you know, got into a bad way because of it. You know, if I took the victim stance at 25 after having two daughters and now $200,000 in debt by no fault of my own, you know, I could have been suicidal, but instead it's like, okay, what job can I have so I can support myself and leave because I have to pick up my girls at three o'clock every day. And I said to the judge, I said, I can't have a nine to five job and get my girls at three o'clock because you'll figure it out. And I said, okay, but my ex has works at his father's Greek restaurant, so he can leave to get the girls. He goes, no, we're going to make it your responsibility. And later it was discovered he fed all the judges for free. So, you know, Mm. I couldn't win for anything. Right. But I could have gotten down on myself and it's like, I'll figure it out. So this, it's really, again, this mindset for success that saved me every step of the way. It is based in spirituality, not religion, but spirituality. And it's a way of being 24 seven. And when you practice it over and over again, it makes you really strong and empowered yet calm and peaceful, you know? So um, that's really what I use to help me heal with all of this. And all my clients learn this. Whether um, I don't care what religious background they come from, I have people from India and Greece and Lebanon. And so I have all different kinds of religious people of different faiths come, but they all learn to be spiritual. Definitely. I love it. Is there, can you give, you know, one or two tips to our listeners to start on this success mindset and how to just be successful in where they're at right now? Yeah. Well, I'm into vitamin therapy for sure. Meditation is one of the top ways to help heal trauma. It only takes 15 minutes every day though, and it's best to do it in the morning because quantum physics and science shows there is eight to nine hours of positive effect on the brain and the body. I do one called spiritual guided meditation that Listeners can hear it on Lessons in Life and Love podcast because it takes me a while to go into that. Um, And I just did one on like a show on trauma like two or three episodes ago. So that'll be a recent show. Um, But it does lower anxiety, depression, cortisol, and blood pressure and increases dopamine and serotonin levels of the brain, which are your happy chemicals. So it makes you a lot calmer, more focused, and less anxious. 
Um, so all my people know the importance of meditation and they do it on a daily basis. That's like super important for them to do. We do something that's called capping, which is, you know, any fear-based thought that comes up, they have to cap it and correct it. And that takes a lot of practice. You know, people are like, you mean, I got to think about what I think about? I'm like, yep, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, why? And I said, just start the process. And it's like, it's like every other thing I think or say is negative. And I said, well, then you're bringing conscious awareness to how much this is an issue for you. Right. So, you know, we have to work on that for sure. I describe, there's, here's a lesson my dad taught me. Is there, hun, if you have the five D's for success, you can do anything. And this is when I was 16 years old, quite depressed over my losing my friend, Michael. And uh, I loved my job at the time, but here we go. This is before sexual harassment laws. I was hot fired from my boss because I would not be intimate with him. And I'm like, how am I going to get my job back? I love this job. And as a teenager, making $25 an hour was big money back then. And I was working with celebrities. So like who wouldn't love that job? But I was adamant to hold true to my values. And he first of all said, hon, you're going to figure it out. And second, he said this lesson. So they are desire, dedication, determination, devotion, and dare to dream. And through the years, I added two words on the front and the back end that are Ds. Decide what you want. Really important. Without a strong decision, you'll go nowhere. So you need to decide first what you want. Then you do the other five Ds. And at the end is drive. And drive keeps you going even when you're exhausted even if a program or something fails, you don't get into a funk about it. You just say, okay, this one didn't work. Let me figure out why. And then I can embellish it or change it or come out with a new one. You know, we don't look at failure as failure. We look at that as a lesson, Yeah. right? So the seven Ds have been really guiding me with every project that I do. Um, that's really important. And figuring out how to do that, I called the top salesman that put me on all his top promotions and told him the story and he goes, don't do anything. I'm going to fix this. <laughs> and he went on and went in and actually put his own job on the line. And he was a top producing salesman he goes, how can you fire our best girl? Our clients love her. She's socially outgoing and gracious and confident. Then he goes, all right, give it two weeks and she can come back, but I don't want to talk about it. And that's how things were handled when I was a teenager swept under the carpet yeah. And, you know, I did, I kept my mouth shut and I was friendly, but not, you know, not overly talkative, but all the salesmen that I did their accounts for were very happy that I was back on the job. Right. But I mean, you know, I, I wanted my dad to go in and fight my battle for me. And he goes, no, you, you have to figure this one out for yourself, hon. So that's what I decided to do. And it worked out. That is amazing. Uh, I love it. And I think it's such a powerful story and a powerful lesson for sure. Um, wrapping up, we have a couple of questions that we ask everybody that comes on the show. The first one okay. is what would the new you say to the old you? My current age, keep on going, girl. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I don't know. I'm being spiritual. I really feel like I'm doing what God has brought me to this world for, um, to help people that are hurting in a profound way, in a unique way. And, you know, I, I really love being a coach and I know I make a huge difference in people's lives. So that's what I would say. <laughs> Definitely. I love it. Um, and then what is a book, ebook, podcast, or any a quote, anything that you recommend to our listeners to get them through a tough time or something that helped you find strength? 
Well, I read all the spiritual masters. I mean, I do love Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, the Dalai Lama, anything spiritually based, Marian Williamson and the Course of Miracles. Uh, very, very important to my grounding. Uh, find a faith-based service that you can connect to that's important for you. My podcast is all about healing. And I'm 79 shows in. So Lessons in Life and Love, I hope will be helpful for you guys. I listen to a lot of business things too. I'm really into business and marketing and public relations. So for healing, that's what I would say. You know, find a couple podcasts you relate to, keep listening, keep learning, keep growing. Tony Robbins has a quote that I love. If you're not growing, you're dying. So keep on learning, keep on growing, keep feeding your mind the food that it needs to heal and feel fantastic. Awesome. I'm going to add this one in. I usually ask it before everything else, but uh, I skipped it. But what are you working on now and what are you working on moving forward? Currently, I love having all this time, to be honest with you. I'm refurbishing all my marketing, which I'm really excited about. I just redid my entire website, rihannamilne.com, and I love it. It's brighter and cheerful, and I'm just writing right now a new mini course for singles that's going to be a more economic uh, course, five videos uh, that includes my eBooks, Live in Love Beyond Your Dreams. It's really, really reasonable, and that should be out within a week. I'm hoping, nice. if not sooner, by this time this airs, and that's called Let's Talk About Love, and it's the five most popular dating concerns, like how to flirt, how to find love now, success in online dating, how to avoid the dating disasters like breadcrumbing, ghosting, flying monkeys, sociopaths. <laughs> um, so it's a really, really uh, deep dive course for dating at a really reasonable price because of this virus situation. So that you can find all the details on rihannamilne.com for that. I love it. And then finally, how can our listeners find you? Social media handles, websites, and um, I know that you have something to give to yeah. Yeah. Okay. The website is my main hub, rihannamilne.com. That's where you can get the, the childhood trauma checklist to do again and the red flags checklist, the ACOA checklist. So there's four free tests you can take. Also a free ebook that goes into childhood trauma more and free book chapter downloads of live and love beyond your dreams. You get like the first 60 pages of each book. So check those out. And my podcast, Lessons in Life and Love, I also have a free app, Lessons in Life and Love on the go, which is real handy dandy because you can listen to the podcast and get my YouTube videos. You can actually see them right there on the app. And I got about 180 educational videos on my YouTube channel, Rihanna Milne. So if you really want more healing and information on trauma, relationships, dating, love, uh, business success you know, do go over and check out my YouTube channel. Those are my busiest areas. I do have presence on Twitter, LinkedIn, and IG, but I'm still on a learning curve for IG. <laughs> so <laughs> I post, but I don't really know how to like talk back to anybody. So right. <laughs> Facebook's so much easier for me. And that's Coach Rihanna Milne is my fan page. And that's where all my summits and podcasts are list, listed there first. Awesome. Rihanna, thank you so much for coming on the show and dropping some awesome knowledge bombs for our listeners. You're welcome, Heather. Thank you for having me. And I just want to remind them, you know, start now to create the life that they desire and to have the love that they deserve. You're worth it. 
If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O, thriving, A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.